0: Did you know that 2022 was the European year of youth? The European Commission announced it because it realized that young people were hit especially hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. Education, employment, social inclusion and mental health, it was all impacted drastically. Yet, young people continue to play a crucial role in shaping the future of Europe through their civic engagement. In line with this important mission of spotlighting the role of young people in the construction of a solidary Europe, we invited three remarkable young people to be part of today's episode. (laughs) For the first time in the history of this podcast, I'll have three guests with me. I'm really excited to welcome Zahid Ozdemir from Turkey, Maria Kayat from the UK, and Jan Emmanuel Harry from Switzerland. All three are coming from a country for which the relationship status with Europe stands on—it's complicated. Welcome to the three of you. Let's start with a round of introductions, shall we?
1: Hi, I'm I'm Zahid Ozdemir. I'm 25 and I'm from Turkey. I live in Istanbul, uh, the center of the Turkey, in a sense. I'm a psychologist and a master's student in political sciences, and I am also working as a research assistant. My focus in my master in my studies is in general, migration and citizenship and organizations and civil society in Turkey, and specifically in Istanbul.
0: Great having you, Zahid.
2: Uh, so my name is Jan Emmanuel Harry. I'm 26 years old and I live in Lucerne, Switzerland. I'm studying my in my master's uh, religious studies, science of religion and history, and I work at Dialogue en Route, which is a project that tries to just kind of introduce uh, different methods of interreligious dialogue to schools and make different religions accessible and more understanding for uh, kids.
0: Welcome, Yanni Manuel.
3: So, hi, my name is Maria. Um, I am 22 years old and I work for Commonwealth Theatre based in Bradford. Um, Commonwealth is a site-specific theatre company. Um, I am also a producer for Speakers Corner Collective, which is a female collective run and led by young women again based in bradford and it's all about creating campaigns around issues that are important to young people and allowing the young women to have full control and autonomy to create work that's important to them and work that they want to make
0: maria how can our listeners imagine you
3: i am a young south asian woman i wear a hijab and at the minute i feel pretty calm and chilled i think but also just Nice to meet other people and talk about work that we do and how it's similar, but also learn about the differences and what people are doing around the world is always quite
0: fun. What about you, Yanni Manuel?
2: Okay, so um, I'm very tall. <laughs> I like music. I it, Singing is my passion, basically. I also do theatre and acting. I love doing sports as well. I'm doing karate and... Yeah, I would call myself a very bubbly, active, open-minded person who sometimes gets a little bit too passionate about discussions.
0: Your turn, Zahid.
1: Well, (laughs) I'm quite the opposite, like exact opposite. I'm working from home mostly. I am quite an introvert, if you can say that. Uh, I wear glasses, I have short hair. And this is definitely not my natural habitat. To talk, like, but within a context, like ironically, this is also my job in that sense. So yeah, that's all pretty much me.
0: Thank you so much to the three of you. Today we gathered you three from different corners of Europe, but knowing that you have a lot in common, this conversation will be about sharing different perspectives on what solidarity and social engagement looks like for each of you. Zahid, what has led you to get socially engaged?
1: Uh, well, I have always mm, lived in a very, in a sense, sheltered life from a small city. And I didn't know about anything, about like anything, about anyone other than regular middle-class Turkish people in that sense, when I grew up. But once I got to the university in Istanbul, When I moved there, I realized, uh, well, world is a lot more bigger than it appeared as I was growing up. So from that moment and uh, the year that I started the university was the same year that this big migration wave, like refugee wave in that sense, uh, from Syria to Turkey, like 2012, 11. And... Also, it was the same year that there was a crisis in academia in Turkey and there was the war and etc. Anyway, so Istanbul was a very, very different place because like half of the population of Istanbul is, is not a citizen. They, they are from somewhere else in that sense, almost like one third of it, let's say statistically. So you inevitably find yourself with, like, uh, in the same social environment with them and you became friends with them. Once you connected with the people, you start to realize that there are so many issues, so many problems within their lives. So, and there's also so little that you can do. So you start to change your life according to it. So it feels like it's it was kind of like naturally happened to me.
0: What about you, Yan Emanuel? What has led you to get interested in interreligious dialogue? In Switzerland,
2: okay, so um, it was kind of a similar approach, I guess. I grew up very privileged, also um, middle class, Switzerland, uh, Swiss citizen, and education kind of just got thrown at me. I I didn't really have to to fight for any of that. Um, and then in Switzerland, uh, military service is mandatory but you can also choose to do community service um, instead. So I chose to do that and I did work um, at a refugee home for half a year and that was also, to me, a very important point in my life that changed my perspective or just widened my horizon in the sense of global issues weren't just numbers and words in headlines and newspapers. It became faces and people and relationships that you actually cared about. And to me, that was very much a moment where I realized that there's people who have to fight for the things that I just got handed automatically. I also really saw firsthand how misunderstood some communities are. might be religious or also just due to r- racist reasons. And then with my studies, um, science of religion and history, I-, I was able to look into all of these aspects, historical and religious aspects, and just kind of, again, realize how how wrong some of the perceptions of the public are uh, in context of of different communities, and then with Iras and Dialogon Route, I really saw the opportunity to to go into schools and to help paint a more realistic, more diverse picture of yeah different communities that are maybe very much misunderstood in in the public eye sometimes.
0: And for you, Mariah, what was your trajectory in joining Speakers Corner and the Commonwealth Theater Company?
3: So when I was like 15, 16, I first volunteered for Speaker's Corner and I did that for like a good few years and then I did my A-levels at 18 in school and then I was going to go to uni but I was very much like, didn't want to go to uni, didn't want to be in school and Commonwealth offered an apprenticeship role So I took it, and I was just thinking, I'm going to take a year out from uni. I'm going to do something completely different, see what happens, just kind of take a year out and then go back to uni. And at uni, I was going to do mental health nursing. So working at Commonwealth was very different. Now I'm working at Commonwealth. But I also really love the work that we've always done at Speaker's Corner because for me as a young person, being part of Speaker's It gave me so much confidence and really built my self-confidence and my self-esteem. I had adults who just believed in me and were like, you're going to do great, you're going to be fine. You can go speak in front of all these people, it's going to be great. And it feels like a really nice full circle moment because now I'm almost like one of those adults.
0: Can you explain what exactly is Speaker's Corner and maybe tell us a bit about Bradford?
3: So Bradford is actually the youngest city in Europe and that just means that we have the biggest population of young people so people under 30 one of the things about Bradford that I really love is that because we don't because we are a bit forgotten and we don't always get a lot of money put into the city it very much has a you've just got to do it on your own kind of feel so speaker's corner is a female led youth collective based in Bradford and It was set up in 2015, yeah, 2015, and there wasn't a space for young women that felt like a safe space. And over the years, we've done campaigns from mental health, body image, doing things about generational gaps between different generations that people have in their families. Our last campaign that we did was about we're having a lot of conversations about stereotypes that are placed on young people, women especially, and how it can come from like generation and sometimes it's trauma that people carry and then over time we normalise it and how this actually can have a negative impact on the coming generations.
0: Thank you, Mariah. We will go back to these generation topics soon. Yanni Manuel, can you explain what a guide does at Dialogue en Routes?
2: So there's very many different workshops that we offer in at Dialogue en Route, and teachers can choose between all of these workshops. As a guide, you are trained in some of them. So I, for example, am not trained to show people uh, the Hindu temple. Um, that's not a workshop that I can do, but there are people who are trained in that one, and they will... Uh, make contact with the teacher who booked that workshop and they will meet the class uh, at this place and, and show them. There's also, most of the times when we go into uh, different religious buildings or sites, there's maybe a priest or uh, just another person working there. Um, we also have some workshops that are more theoretical, like, for example, Memories of Racism, where we do kind of look at the hold, uh, I think, also the influence that racism still does have here in in Switzerland as well, uh, how it affects our society. So it's very, very broad. Um, There's so many different people from so many different backgrounds as guides. And I think that is actually what it stands for. So we have people from various different uh, religious backgrounds, uh, from different national backgrounds,
0: Dialogon Route is conducting these workshops in schools to raise awareness about the inter religious history of Switzerland, to increase intercultural understanding of children and young people, and to decrease the biases that exist towards some cultural and religious communities that are part of Swiss society. The three of you are part of what is called Gen Z. I would like to know. How do you see your generation approaching the questions of a multicultural and diverse Europe?
2: I do believe that in in that sense, I think social media does have a very wide network that that is absolutely beneficial to some causes. But I think just hearing and seeing other people's lived experiences um, and not just your own or the one that your community shares, again, living in Switzerland as a middle class person, it's very privileged, and it's easy to to forget what the rest of the world's experience can can look like. So I think we have the opportunity to view the world and experiences through other people's eyes. And I think that can be a very
0: um, important tool. Thank you, Yanni Manuel. Zahid, what would be your take on the topic?
1: i think uh, we now understand like uh, our age group now understands like how vital solidarity is how much we need each other in that sense regardless our ethnicity ideology or like i mean the minor differences in ideology and like where you come from etc like we do need each other and it's very clear because it's continues to go to a point that you cannot survive by yourself. So you have to organize because you literally have no power individually. So you need to find solutions, you need to find reactions, you need to find defense mechanisms. As a community, you need to find each other because there, like that is the way that you can find many practical solutions about life, but also it is the way that you can socialize, you can stay sane. And at least share your problems and have a similar worldview against all the craziness that's going on in Turkey and in the world at the same time.
0: Maria, I think that's something Speakers Corner does. Providing space for young people to find each other and build a community. Can you react to what Zahid just said about finding your community and looking for practical solutions together?
3: Like, and I can only speak from my own experiences and things I've been through and all seen. And I think at Speakers Corner... We get people from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. Everyone's had a different upbringing and sometimes it's hard to give a practical solution or to help practically because there just isn't much you can do as someone from the outside. But I think there's something in just being like a support or like a source of strength that a person has. Maybe you can help them but you can just be, be there for them and support them and then if there ever is anything you can do they know that you can help in any way.
0: When I asked our three guests about a time when they were able to show solidarity or a situation in which someone showed solidarity to them, Jan-Emmanuel and Mariah both told similar stories about finding or offering support regarding mental health related issues. Zahid, on the other hand, shared that she finds it somehow strange to talk about receiving or giving solidarity. As in Turkish, solidarity is a verb that literally means doing together. Remember, we talked about this in Season 1 with Özgehan Şenova, But then, Zahid did tell us a crazy story about ricochet translation between three languages showcasing the intercultural solidarity within her daily life.
1: A few months ago, one of my friends, he's from Egypt, fell down from his scooter and needed to go to hospital. So my other friend, she is Kurdish, she found him and she took him to the hospital and she took another friend who is Kurdish and Syrian and three of them went to hospital and they called me uh, and I went there too. But I got there a bit later, so in order to talk with the doctor, the Egyptian friend would speak in Arabic to the Syrian Kurdish friend, and he would translate it to Kurdish, and the Kurdish Turkish friend would translate it to Turkish. So it took like three people to communicate with the doctor.
0: Wow. I like how this illustrates what you said before about creating practical solutions together. This made me curious to hear more about the focus of your studies, Zahid. You are actually working on who is in solidarity with whom, right?
1: As I say, Istanbul is quite big and there's a lot of different uh, communities. My main take would be the connection part because although this is a very crowded city, almost like 20 million lives in here, very few of different communities uh, interact with each other like let's say uh, some like feminist organizations uh, like with different takes on feminism some queer organizations or um let's say leftist Kurdish migration organizations and etc and there's not enough talk between them so like we can say that there are so like there there is solidarity a lot uh, within them, but it it limits itself. If you are just in solidarity with people who are similar with you, or people who think exactly the same way with you, it's gonna run its course at some point. So in here, the issue that we are trying to solve, at least like this is what I'm trying to understand in a more theoretical step, uh, how can we, like there's a point of connection between different communities, between different groups, to come up with more strong bonds of solidarity.
0: With those solidarity lenses on, your research focuses on non-citizens. Can you explain who they are?
1: I wanted to come up with a, like, it's already a already existing concept in the literature, but I wanted to use the concept of non-citizen because it's a, I cannot just uh, it's not enough to describe someone's situation as like a migrant or refugee, usually, because we have a very like, in, especially in Turkey, very unsustainable and kind of chaotic migration laws and rules and regulations. So it's quite changing all the time. So I want to focus on the context of citizenship and Non-citizenship is also in other context. It's a great context. And it shows your positionality within the context of rights, actually. What you are able to do, are you able to work or not? Are you able to travel? Are you mobile? Are you getting threats to go out the street? Like are you in the face of deportability all the time, etc.? So why I'm focusing on them and Organizations at the same time, because I said one third of the city, it's not a minority anymore. So I'm not taking them as a homogeneous group, but I'm taking taking non-citizenship as a category.
0: Zahir explains that this one third of the population doesn't have political rights due to their lack of residence permits. In her research, Zahid asks why political organizations are not creating space for this category of people to join the conversation. Similarly to what we have heard from Amindia Rekunde in a recent episode, she understands that the absence of this large group in decision-making influences how the problems they are facing are being addressed. Zahid, could we say that you're interested in a more intersectional solidarity?
1: Yeah, exactly in that sense, because it's very fragmented when we think of it, especially in Istanbul. And there's also uh, like uh, groups of, let's say like majority groups and minority groups. And it's usually very hard to access uh, a majority group. And so what's actually, uh, like where the work gets done, as in these small organizations, in small communities, uh, because they are the ones who are able to talk with each other at least, so connect with each other.
0: This brings me to the next question, which is a question asked by one of our listeners, Helene, who lives in Hörn, Switzerland. She asked, What do you think is the role of education in promoting solidarity? Gianni Manuel that question comes from around the corner from where you live and since you are the one working with education can you give your opinion on that first
2: ah, that's hard and it's also very um a very current topic that is very controversial in in some places we always always hear these very loud voices of um schools are Putting thoughts into our kids' heads, they're they're brainwashing them to to be more liberal, etc. And I think kids can make up their own mind and information when it comes to history and the role. When touching back on Europe, I think it's very important that we as European kids know the history of Europe and know what led to a lot of the economic. Uh, Injustices in this world. Um, It's not just that some people don't want to work, it's a centuries long, very unjust power relation where Europe took absolutely most of the resources in so many places. And I think in school, it's important to tell these kids really the truth. And I think that will inspire solidarity. And also, again, uh, having people who are affected by whatever we are talking about uh, will probably inspire most solidarity because, yeah, a, a teacher can talk about it, but then kids will look at it uh, as as a story. But if someone tells from their own experience, they will see that it is an actual reality. So um, there again, I think inclusion into the school system of people who live uh, certain experiences will inspire solidarity and i think it's also absolutely valid and would be valuable as well to to do projects and workshops on how could we just uplift each other and i think it does have a space in schools because as sahide also said we all are in some ways and at some point absolutely we do need solidarity
0: would you say that the educational work you do with Dialogue and root is rooted in solidarity?
2: Definitely what we do is absolutely based on the thought of solidarity through understanding, through information, and also experience. And with that, I do think solidarity definitely is a vital part, if not maybe the beating heart of, of what we do with Dialogue and root and Iras Kultis but I've only been here for one year and I cannot speak for the entire organization. And that's just the the experience that I've made with it. And I think in the school context, it's very much just about giving kids knowledge so that we can prevent uh, misinformation. And I think misinformation in so many cases leads to fear or discrimination.
0: I can imagine this process sometimes implies that the guides have to answer personal questions about their own beliefs and convictions. Is it something you find difficult to do?
2: I have not found it very difficult. I think it's very inspiring. Uh, the last time I, it was just last Thursday, I did a workshop on the memories of racism. And the the tricky part was when they started really asking personal questions that go into the political spectrum. And I, I was really hesitant on being clear about my own views because I don't really know where to draw the line. But uh, I think as long as you do tell them that they have a right to their own opinion and whatever I'm going to say, that is my opinion and you do not have to share it. Uh, if they ask, they obviously want to know something from you. And I'm not going to tell them what they have to vote
0: Maria, can I ask you the same question? In your opinion, what can be the role of education in promoting solidarity?
3: Um, oh, that's a big question. Um, I think through through education you learn so many different things and so many different skills, and you're in education for so much of your life. And education is so solitary because you're just learning these skills for you and then you do this exam and then you can go into this group and you can get further and you're not always taught or learned how to work in a group I think there's this lack of teaching solidarity in schools but then education can also come from what you do outside of school and other like other clubs you're part of because even something as small as like being part of a sports team so sometimes it's like finding your own education and what are you doing for yourself? Like, are you part of another team? Or like, do you do extra stuff outside of the school lessons?
0: I suppose joining Speakers Corner is one possible outside-of-school activity that fosters this solidarity mindset.
3: Um, yeah, definitely. Because um, some of the girls know each other, they might come from school together, and they might bring a friend. But a lot of the time it is just different young women from like different schools different ways they heard of speakers coin and they come together and they're part of one collective and as a collective they make all the decisions and all the choices they're in control of the budget the finance they do the promoting and marketing they pretty much do it all and it's just about giving young women that autonomy to create work for young people by young people that they would want to see that they'd want to be part of but then also it's just they learn so many skills throughout doing it, but sometimes you don't even realise you're learning the skills, but they just learn throughout doing it and being put in that position where they've got to do it. So you kind of have this solidarity and, like, this sisterhood that you create and, like, in this friendship and that you've made and you're, like, this collective that just creates work together but also supports each other and is there for each other in different ways, A lot of the work, especially when we do work about international activism and we connect with other people and sometimes we connect with different activists around the world, there's also solidarity in that. And there's also this bigger sense in over the years, Speaker's Corner has been running for six years now and has people from all different ages, young and old. And there's a solidarity in that, in that you always know there's this whole massive collective who are supporting you and who do have your back. And I like there in the background, just cheering you
0: on. Speaker's Corner sounds like an empowering place for the young participants. They get to learn how to work, organize and make decisions together. And they benefit from their peer support in many different ways. In that case, it seems that the solidarity we are talking about goes automatically with a feeling of belonging to a community. Zahid, what would be your opinion about the role of education in encouraging solidarity?
1: I come from that. Like I got that education. I didn't know other existence of other people when I got to age. I thought like, yeah, this is just us. There's like the, it's like there's just one nation, one country, one language, whatever. That's it's their motto. So within this context, I don't think many of the Children of the majority, especially, don't ex- like understand the context. Like, might not like learn the context of solidarity mm-hmm. with others, because like there is this huge others that you don't know. You don't get to know about their historical context, political context. You just know about yourself. Like about being Turk. Like you just um, like your uh, con- concept of understanding is built up to Turkishness. In the majority most of the people that I know almost all of us are self-taught and it's not because of lack of resources existence resources but like you have to like take time time to wash your brain out because you like it sticks to you
0: on the other hand Zahir explains that children in less privileged positions, whether they are part of minority groups or from migrant backgrounds, interact with each other more and within this diverse community of less privileged, they build their own language and their own standards, which happens in other contexts and for other reasons with adults too.
1: But when you think of it, uh, in Istanbul especially, theres uh, it's always a struggle to live here if you don't have the means and most of us don't. So you can find yourself in a situation. You find yourself with like your friends who are from other countries, like they are in a similar situation. Economically, socially, like you can easily find yourself in the same situation. But it's still harder for them because you at least have the options. (laughs) You at least have some basic needs. You find yourself in the same position and you look at each other and you say, yeah, we are basically suffering from the same huge structural issues and inequalities and injustices.
0: We talked a lot about solidarity in your three different contexts, and it was nice to discover the different forms and definition it takes. But I would like to have you speaking about Europe as well. We gathered you from different corners of the continent because we also would like to explore what Europe means to you. Let's start with you, Zahid. As you live in a city sitting at the border of Europe, do you identify as European?
1: Well, if I can say, uh, hell no, I I don't feel European at all. Well, but I
0: uh,
1: maybe I should have said that I, I have a white look, if you can say, so... I would blend in, like I don't have a visual uh, signifier that shows my ethnicity that much. But I would, if I have to identify, I would consider myself maybe Middle Eastern in a very broad sense. Turkey is a, uh, like a middle country between migration routes. So lots of people here tries to go to Europe, including Turkish citizens lately and refugees and migrants, they all want to go to Europe. Like no nobody wanted to stay stuck in Turkey.
0: Zahid explains that Turkey often feels like a country in between, somehow in Europe, yet kept apart through borders and visa policies.
1: Europe is uh, making many lives very difficult here, uh, and putting many families in very hard positions. Like there's lots of separated families. Like some can, could go, some couldn't, and there is lots of issues with illegal passages because we also have a shore to Mediterranean and Greece. So Europe, uh, like in that sense, Europe is a in a controversial point in my life. It is something that you want to be a part of. Actually, want to be able to live having basic human rights but at the same time it has so huge impact on your life here and it's a very like uh, personally and psychologically it's a very tricky thing
0: hmm. thanks for sharing about these important aspects which connect back to what we have heard in previous episodes about how borders affect solidarity can i ask you the same Yan Emanuel? do you identify as european
2: I do think that definitely I am I I've grown up in a European context um also when you look at school and history definitely very europe uh, oriented uh, I do think also even though Switzerland is not part of the EU and is kind of a special uh, thing of its own I we definitely are part of European history I think Switzerland with Europe is part of, of a history of also discriminating against other people in other places of the world and also making profit of other people's resources. And with that, I I don't know what what it's like to feel European, but I do see my role as a European person to not negate that, these historical truths. It's not a guilt, but it's a responsibility to, to kind of really educate um, myself on what Europe stood for for a very long time and in some aspects still stands for. So it's just about, again, listening and, and learning about what, is, what has happened throughout history and what structures are still in place and how we can deal with those um, from Europe as well.
0: Thank you. It's super interesting to hear your answers, one after the other. And I can't help thinking that Mariah's answer will bring yet another aspect of European identities. Mariah, it's your turn. Do you identify as European?
3: I don't necessarily think I identify as European. Because I, like my background, I'm Indian. I'm young South Asian woman but I'm also British because this is where I've been born and where I've been brought up. So I do think I'm British, but I've never really said I'm European just because that seems so big and so broad. And, yeah, it's a funny one, I think. But I would say I'm, like, British, but I think that's because I'm born and bred here in England, in Britain. But also, I would also say that whenever someone asks, because you always get that question, oh, where are you from? I don't even tend to say, oh, I'm British, I will always say, oh, I'm from India, because that's kind of where I am from and where my roots come from, and I think that's important to me.
0: The question of identities became both crucial and controversial in Europe this last decade. How important do you think it is for your generation?
2: I definitely do think that identity is absolutely crucial for people. I think it's, it's what you... It's what you live. <laughs> and I think for identity to be recognized by, number one, people surrounding you, and number two, also the system surrounding you is absolutely instrumental to your mental well-being. So I think identity is absolutely important. And respecting different identities and on a community and political level is definitely a task that we have to take on in the near future in my opinion
3: I think like your identity is something that you always have and I think as a person of color like as soon as you look at someone who is a person of color I if you look at me you can obviously tell that like yes I'm British but there's also other heritage and that also like I come from somewhere else and that's where your initial roots are from and it's really hard not to see that and I think that builds part of your identity but also identity is something that just makes every person different I think now more more and more young people are taking pride in their identity I think identity is what makes you who you are and whether that's your culture your background your religion your heritage whatever it might be but identity is kind of what makes all different and I think people are realizing that more and accepting it more because it also just makes life more interesting i
1: think i believe we have a different take on identity i think we understand it is quite liquid it's quite changeable interchangeable and it's it's quite crucial to position ourselves especially in the political context that we are living we don't uh, like dismiss the idea of identity we don't dismiss and but at the same time we understand it's layers is fluidity in that sense. So you have to accept that it's shifting, changing as an individual and as a community in the, in the, in the context of the community and the political context. So especially for uh, Gen Zs and young people like us, it's not just accepting or having an identity. It's also understanding that identity can, is a and can be a social construct and you can find your way within it, you can create it as an individual, as a community, you can create your own community as well. And you can also understand your own identity with its historical context. Uh, But I I have no idea what's going to happen after us, like the next generations.
0: Once again, I want to thank you for taking part of this conversation, Mariah, Zahid, and Yann Emmanuel. It was great exploring these political and personal questions about the multiple identities coexisting in Europe. I am really happy we took this conversation into that direction.
3: Thank you for having me. It's been lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much.
2: Uh, Thank you very much. Also, Maria and Saide, it was absolutely nice talking to you and hearing uh, your perspectives and your uh, work that you do. Very inspiring. Thank you so much.
0: Bye, everyone. It was really a pleasure. In the next episode, we will build on many of the aspects touched upon in this episode, social engagement and educating ourselves about privileges. It's an episode in which we ask ourselves, how can we show solidarity with people outside of Europe, especially those in need of humanitarian support? With our guests, we are going to talk about how to do international solidarity projects and volunteering abroad in a responsible and self-conscious way. This is a podcast of Salto European Solidarity Chorus Research Center, produced by Instituto Now. For more information and resources on Solidarity and the chorus, go to talkingsolidarity.eu. The theme song Solidarity Unifies Us is composed and sung by Paula Gers. The episode was mixed by Brun Freyr and hosted by Diogo Pirsch. The artwork was created by Ina Gouveia. Hi, listeners! thanks so much for joining the conversation on solidarity we appreciate having you with us